It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to the Futures Focus podcast, courtesy of Prospects1500.com. I am your host, Alex Sanchez, along with me as usual, David Gasper. David, say hi really quickly. Hi. We have to get going because we have (laughs) such a packed episode that we don't even have time to go over the news and notes. We have Scott Green, the president, and when the president of your website, the CEO, whatever you want to call him, the boss man. El Presidente whatever you want to call him when he's on and he gets talking, you don't cut him off. You let him go. So we went a little long with Scott green. We're talking dynasty startup drafts. We also have uh, Z- uh, Jim Zeely uh, going over Indians top 50 prospects. We have so much to go about that. We're going to go ahead and skip the news and notes for this week. So let's get right into it. You ready, David? I'm ready. All right. Let's bring Scott green on here and we'll be right back after this. All right, David, you and I have to be on our best behavior now because we got the boss man himself, Scott Green, CEO, president, founder of Prospects1500.com. Scott, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Are you guys on the clock right now? Uh, I I would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, what are we doing here? Thank you for having me on. Um, You know, I've wanted to get back on Futures Focus for a little while. Um, Jake Barry and I, you know, kicked this off a couple years ago and had a little hiatus there. And and you, you two guys have brought it back going every week. It sounds good. And, um, Hey, thanks for having me on. I, I figured uh, we could talk a little bit about some dynasty fantasy baseball and this interesting prospects. Um, well, it's not just prospects draft that you guys are taking part in right now. So, uh, I guess we'll, we'll dive into that here shortly. Yeah, let's go over what league we're talking about. This was Nate Eckert, who you recognize, hopefully, from last week's episode. If you have not heard that episode, pause now. Go hear Nate. He talks about the Dodgers system last week, and it's a fantastic episode. And then we'll still be here after you unpause. So go ahead, and uh, you can finish up this episode. But Nate Eckert, uh, after we were done talking to him, we kind of discussed this idea of a fantasy dynasty startup, and he was nice enough to put it together, invite some Prospects 1500 staff on board, um, and then a couple of randos, to be honest. There's, it's public. He opened it up to the public there at the end, um, and we have a huge assortment of opinions. Now, we have a 12-team dynasty league, a startup draft. It's intense in terms of the minor league numbers. You have to have at least 50 minor leaguers on your roster. <laughs> with a maximum of 100 minor league rosters. So theoretically, you could have 100 minor leaguers on your team. That's pretty intense. It's, it's definitely the biggest minor league pool league that I'm in currently. It's, it's absolutely huge. And I thought it would be interesting to go over the draft that we've, we've done so far, talk about where the prospects are landing up, and then discuss dynasty strategies when it comes to drafting and managing our teams and david this was your first time uh taking a a stab at dynasty startup drafts so we have a lot to go over here and let's start with that david what are your thoughts uh after going through this and what have you learned maybe some rookie mistakes that you you've already recognized what can you tell us about your experience so far yeah well my first rookie mistake was letting someone else have the opportunity to snipe hedbert perez from me um, that was my first mistake, letting him uh, fall too far. But yeah, it, it was really um, you know interesting, you know, doing my my first you know dynasty startup here because you know I, I felt I needed to do it, you know, joining Prospects 1500, doing the podcast here. I felt I I needed to to join that group, but 
Um, the, the thing that really kind of surprised me at first was, was how early some of the prospects were going because, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a dynasty league and you got to look at some of these, um, prospects, but at the same time, you also have to fill it out with, with plenty of big leaguers. So I wasn't sure how soon to, to jump into the prospects. I probably should have been doing a little more research on that before jumping into it. Um, but yeah, so like when I saw Wander Franco go in the third round, and I'm just like, you know, oh, like that's that's early. And then everyone's like, um, no, it's not really. Yeah. So that was yeah, that's what um, I wanted to ask uh, Scott about because to me, the prospects actually were going pretty late in this draft. I think 27th overall is where Wander Franco went, and to me, that's you know that's the third round in our draft, and. To be honest, I see him almost as a first-round talent in some drafts and second round for sure. So, Scott, what do you think? Is that too early, too late, just about right for Wander? I think maybe a little bit late. I would definitely think, uh, you know, you've got 12 teams. So, you know, end of the second round, your 23rd, 24th pick. I I would think he would be in the, you know, early 20s to mid-20s overall. And and that's kind of, you know, he just fell into the early third round for you. Um, Before I go any further... One of the things that you will find out about, David, in Dynasty League drafts mm-hmm. is get your guy. So I'm looking at Hedbert Perez, 243rd overall, 21st round. Next time you take him in the 19th round or the 18th round if you want him. So don't yeah. don't lose your guys. Um, and it's okay to reach, um, especially in, in Dynasty Leagues. You know what? This is really intriguing for me to look at and from an outsider i'm not in the league i'm i'm looking at all of these prospects and the names that i love uh but not being part of this draft i've done dynasty leagues going back to 2008 myself that was my first year doing dynasty i mean i've done fantasy baseball since you know the early 90s when i was in college but um dynasty i started in 2008 that's where i started to really get the love for what prospects were. And I had to do research and, and I had to figure out where I was going to draft Jason Hayward and Mike Moustakis uh, at the time. Those guys were, were some of the top prospects uh, that year, I recall. But the leagues I've done, a lot of them are, get, you know, it's a major league auction or a major league draft. And then you've got a separate minors draft, uh, maybe just, you know, minor league free agents. And then you've got a separate later in the year, you do a first year player draft for the, the newer kids that are drafted and inter international signees. This one you're doing, everyone's together. It's so unique. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I really love the way that Nate has put that together because it's so strategic. Do you take Wander Franco in that top 10 or top 20 overall when other people are drafting, you know, Bryce Harper and Shane Bieber, you know, you're going to take, you know, Wander Franco or even Jason Dominguez, you know, he's, he's still maybe a couple years away and he's even younger. Uh, well, they're right around the same age, but he goes down to the 13th round. Yeah, that was my guy. I picked him. And, and I'm think it's just, I think it's really unique that you have to figure out uh, where to take prospects and where to take major leaguers. Are you, do you want to, win it all right now this year or next year or are you going to build up an immense farm system with average major leaguers and think that maybe you're going to win three four years from now and you're going to make a lot of moves over the first couple of years to be a little bit competitive but don't think that you'll win the whole thing i mean joe adele he was like the number two overall prospect yeah, last year and he goes to the 10th round in this 113 overall that's I, I think that's really low. Yeah. Well, what I was able to do, I was able to snag Royce Lewis, who had been falling in the 25th round at 299 overall. Because I mean, I know he had the the knee surgery and that's pushing him back. But once he comes back, that dude's still a stud. So I, I felt that was a, a pretty good steal there. Absolutely, 300th overall, 299. You said it was. Yeah. 25th round. I mean, he'll be back what a year and a half from now. It, yeah. this, this is a league that you hope when when you hear the term dynasty, you're not thinking one and done. You're you're hoping that you have a good group of owners that they are going to stay on for as many years as possible, that the league is going to survive 
And I'm telling you, there will be turnover. Out of the 12 owners, you'll probably have at least definitely one, maybe two guys that don't come back next year for whatever reason. It might be lack of inactivity. It might be, you know, differences of opinion. But dynasty leagues do have turnover. Um, but looking long term, that's an amazing pick, David. Royce Lewis, 300 yeah. overall. I mean, he should be in the top 150. But buy low because of the injury. Yeah, and I think what's important, Scott, is to know the league you're in. If you're confident that it is going to last, then yeah, you get those guys. But you have to also realize that not everybody is going to follow that you know, way of thinking, that route. And there is going to be people that are picking major league players only, especially when you start to combine the minor league and major league. That's, again, what you said was unique. I love it this way because you have to make that decision. It's easy to just pick major leaguers when you're supposed to and pick minor leaguers when you're supposed to. But that kind of takes some of the fun out of it. I actually prefer it this way because you have the choice. I want to win right now. I want to win this year. And then, you know what? Whatever. I'll just, you know, take the championship and, and bask in its greatness for five years and that'll be my dynasty. But the key is to know what you want to do and have a plan going into it. And my buddy, actually, it's his first dynasty draft as well. And he was talking about, you know, he doesn't know the prospects that well. So it's a fine line of, you know, do I go for it now? Do I go for maybe next year, the year after? And then once you find that sweet spot and you have a, a plan of attack, I think you can be really, really successful. So let's talk about these prospects then, because this is a prospect show after all. And we can compare kind of the list that we have in our minds, even our, our prospects 1500 list. But here we go, just because I know people don't have this in front of them. The top 10 prospects taken. So according to the 12 members in this league, these are the top 10 prospects. Wander Franco, who went 27th overall. There was a big gap between him and Jared Kelnick, who was the second prospect taken. He went 41st overall. Andrew Vaughn checks in at three. Marco Luciano at four. Julio Rodriguez at five, Bobby Witt Jr. at six, Adley Rutschman at seven, Spencer Torkelson, Mackenzie Gore, and Alex Kirilov round out the 10. Now, again, what's interesting is that these minor leaguers that you may need to rely on early, I'm thinking of Kirilov, I'm thinking of Andrew Vaughn, I've noticed that they've got pushed up a little bit as to maybe our overall rankings of prospects. So, um, Scott, let me ask you that. I mean, how much do you think of a push? that created for some of these guys like a Kirilov or even Ian Anderson, who maybe got pushed up because we know he's going to have a role in 2021. Yeah, I think that definitely is a good point. You, It's like the best of both worlds, you know, who can contribute sooner than later yet is young enough to be around for the length of the league. And you're going to have guys like Ian Anderson that, that do just that. I wanted to compare something, if I may. Um, as you're doing this new startup league draft, I have something that our Prospects 1500 staff does, and we're in the middle of it right now. And we have a 23-team, 50-round redraft going on. So it's it's draft and hold. And for listeners that might not be aware of what that term is, it's you draft your team for this year only. You can make no moves at all during the year, and that's it. You can set your lineup once a week, but that's it. And it's only for this year. It's not dynasty. It's not year after year and keeping players. So you said that Jer uh, Wander Franco was the first taken, um, and he was it was like 24th, 25th overall. 27th and, overall, yep. And then Jared Kelenic was second. In our league that we're doing right now draft and hold only Jared Kellenick dropped to the fifth round 112th overall and we expect to see him up this year and I, I actually thought that was really good value um, for uh, uh, Tyson who got him there in the fifth round Wander Franco fell to 238th overall round 11 in in this league and most people expect he's going to be up this year, maybe for half the year. Um, so I thought that was, I, I just thought it was so unique to compare how prospects are drafted in, a, you know, redraft leagues. If they're going to compete this year compared to what you're doing for a dynasty league for many years. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think anybody is arguing Franco shouldn't be number one. But when we were thinking about this year, I mean, uh, that the obvious choice is Kelnick. He's the guy that's going to be up and you have to make that decision. So, um, David, tell me about some of the prospects that uh, you took uh, in your in your picks if you and then maybe Scott and I will tell you if it's good value or not. But um, yeah. I'm just interested into what your thinking was with your prospects. I have a, a general thought I want to share afterwards as well. But what were you thinking when you were drafting your prospects? Yeah, so um, in one of the top 10 there that, that you mentioned, Adley Rutschman, uh, he was the first prospect I took. And I, I was seeing, you know, these really top prospects, the the Kellenics and the and the Francos, you know, start going off the board. And that's where I kind of had to adjust. I'm like, okay, I should probably snag one of these like top guys. And I have a soft spot in my heart for switch hitting catchers with power. Uh, and that's Adley Rutschman. So um, I, I felt there in round six, uh, that, that was a pretty good spot to, to take him. I think that's a great pick, David. I mean, so if he's your sixth round pick, 62nd overall, Mm-hmm. I, and I'm not looking at the overall draft board. I'm only looking at the prospects here. I assume that you've got a nice core of five good, even to great major league players that you started off your team with. And oh, then yeah. you, and then you fell to seeing the Franco, Kalanick, Vaughn, Luciano, J-Rod and Witt go off the board. Yeah, now it's time to grab a prospect. And you got an amazing one for, you know, who's going to slot in as catcher as early as this year, maybe later this year, uh, at least next year. And uh, I like that pick a lot. Yeah, I started off my, my first five rounds where I had Christian Yelich, you know, first round because I, I had the 11th pick because it's Christian Yelich. Um, Garrett Cole fell to, to the 14th pick because um, Danny didn't have him in his queue because he thought he'd already be gone. So I just kind of was able to snag him there. Um and then, yeah, I had Max Scherzer and Corbin Burns really to, to fill out a strong rotation there. Then Marcelo Zuna for the outfield. And, yeah, went went right to uh, Rutschman. Um, but, yeah, then I went back to the, the big league roster um, for a while there. And then I've really kind of been uh, digging in on the prospects. I took Garrett Mitchell in the 15th round, uh, 179 overall, because – He's my guy. I, I put him in tier one in my list, and I'm I'm a big Garrett Mitchell guy. He's been raking uh, in spring training. Um, then I had uh, Grayson Rodriguez there at 18, uh, 18th round. Nick Gonzalez in the 17th round. Um, so I, I got a couple ca- couple kind of pretty big guys uh, there in that group. Alex, are you surprised that David has two <laughs> Brewers in his top four picks? <laughs> no, I don't. That's what we were. I was making fun of him a lot in the chat in the draft. To be honest, and that's hey, why. I'm first hey, Scott, you're the one that told me get your guy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yes. I think Yelich is everyone's guy. I don't think that's just. Yeah. Guy, well, I mean, yeah, Yelich falls there. He was the he was the 11th ranked player. Like, how am I not gonna take yeah. him? Yeah, but uh, we're just messing with you. But one thing I do want to mention and see what Scott thinks about this because you were approaching this as a first time dynasty player, and I noticed you know you had your three first picks were pitchers or three out of the four were pitchers. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I was talking to my buddy, I said, screw pitching. Okay. You want young hitters and you want to just stockpile that. And then when you're ready to compete, that's when you flip those guys for the pitchers that you need, because the last thing you want is your first or second or third round pick to go for Tommy John and be out for two years. So Scott, what is your stance when it comes to arms? Are you willing to spend the capital on it? Or are you kind of like me and uh, just I'm not even worrying about it until I think round seven or eight. I, I think I took my first picture. What are your thoughts? Uh, sometimes I think you have to kind of go with how the draft falls to you. Uh, Garrett Cole falling to David, you know, at 14th overall, I think is a good argument to make for taking taking him at that time. I will six or seven out of 10 times take a hitter um, and then fill in with pitchers later. But I'm not going to say that it's my strategy that I'll always go hitters uh, because that's just not the case. Um, I, you know, in our huge 50 round 23 team draft, I did take 
hitters, the first three picks, my first pitcher was 91st overall, and that's Denilson Lamette from the Padres. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, that the hitters that I did take in the first three rounds are going to help carry my team. But uh, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that will say, oh, just get stock up on all the hitters and, you know, then trade for pitching later. If I can grab some pitchers who I know don't or haven't had injury concerns or history uh, and they're in their safe, you know, and I would say that that Garrett Cole and Corbin Burns are two top safe excellent pitchers and and I would not have passed on those guys myself in the second and fourth rounds. So I'm definitely a component of get your bats. So it's nice to see some different philosophies here. So here's what happened when you take my strategy, you draft hitters for the first seven rounds. And then I, I didn't even realize I did this until looking at it right now, but I went five pitchers in a row after that. Here are the five that I took Sixto Sanchez, Mike Soroka, Lance McCullers, Sandy Alcantara, and Dustin May. So that's mm. kind of what your pitching rotation might look like. And a lot of upside there. But again, like you said, a little bit of question marks. So interesting mm-hmm. to go over the strategies of that. And it's kind of like we have all ends of the spectrum here. You have, you know, David ready to go with that staff and then fill out the rest. And to be honest, there's a lot of great bats in that range where I took all my pitchers. Um, and in that range, you took uh, Castanera. Eugenio mm-hmm. Suarez, Dansby, Nick Castellano. So you did kind of the opposite of me. And boom, those guys are are very valuable hitters too. And then I think, Scott, you're kind of in the middle. So there's no wrong way to do it. But I think what we all can agree upon is get your guys. So next time, yeah. David, you got to go Hedbert first round. <laughs> yeah, and you got to go Hudson Head first round. Hey, I got um, Hudson Head. I got him. Yeah. Where, yeah, I where did you get so, Hudson Head? I got Hudson Head uh, late, but... Uh, yeah, 314, yeah, 314th overall, 27th round, number 95th prospect off the board. Wow. Which I have him ranked in the 40s in my rankings, so I'm really happy. Yeah, I should have taken him earlier, but uh, he you threatened to kill me. So. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. No, but and, and like where I was going there with the pitchers, you know, with Cole and Scherzer and Burns, like most of the pitching categories here for stats is quality starts, ultra quality starts. And, you know, guys like Scherzer and and Cole, those are guys that go deep into games. They get those, like, quality starts, can go seven, can go eight. Um, So that's where I was kind of thinking, like, going with those guys a little bit earlier because you know a guy like Scherzer, even though he's older, he's going to be able to get you seven, eight innings, less than two or three runs, uh, and just have some dominant starts. So. And that's where I got Zach Greinke there in the 12th round, too. It's like he, he's older. He's not going to be, you know, around for super long, but uh, he'll get you those quality starts in the meantime. Hey, guys, if I may, one other prospect. Uh, David, after uh, Hedbert Perez went in the 21st round for you guys, nine prospects later, happens to be in the 22nd round. 263rd overall, Nolan Jones was taken. And this is a guy that we're going to be talking to uh, Jim about his Indians top 50 prospects uh, after the break. Nolan Jones is, you know, that would be the 67th prospect that was taken in your draft. I have him as like a top 40 guy. So, and I think he's going to be up this year for, for some part of the season. Whoever got Nolan Jones, 22nd round, 263rd overall in this dynasty draft, that's a good job, I think. David, can you look up who took Nolan really quick? Uh, that was you, Alex. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Um, well, there you go. I'm tooting <laughs> your own horn, Alex. Nice now, I'm, I'm actually really happy you brought him up, Scott, because that was where I wanted to go next, and that is the fact that you can uh, pick your po- prospects based on positions of need. So – Third base in fantasy baseball, it's it's a little bit more shallow than it has been in the past. And as I'm filling out my roster, I'm looking at my third base options, and I just didn't love any of the major league bats. I didn't, I think, um, you know, look at my team here really quick. Um, I had to get somebody like um, J.D. Davis. You know, J.D. Davis is my third. I don't love him. And so what I did is I targeted some third base prospects. You'll notice Nolan Jones, he shouldn't have been there that late. I totally agree with you, Scott. But I also had Josh Young 
that I picked pretty early, maybe even a little bit earlier than some other people have him. I have him um, at hmm. 31st overall taken. I took him. So I pushed him up a little bit, but I'm taking guys that I think are up early to fill in that third base spot. So I think that's another good piece of advice that we can share with our listeners is target those prospects that maybe can fill a position of need when you miss out on a run. So it might have been second base or it might have been outfielders or it might have been pitchers and you miss out on those major league talent. All of a sudden you're staring guys that you don't necessarily love at the major league level. Take your guy at the minor league level and hope that he can bust through or get multiple people. That's what I was thinking. I would just, just get a bunch of third base prospects and one of them is bound to bust through. So I think that's a really good piece of advice for, for some people here. Um, a couple well, of guys yeah. I want to touch on and just we'll go to both of you guys and uh, maybe we'll rotate. I'll go back and forth and just let me think, uh, let me know if you think it's a steal or maybe picked too high. You already mentioned Joe Adele. That was one of the guys I was going to mention. I can't believe he's the 22nd guy on this list, but the guy two spots behind him, Dylan Carlson, David, I'll start with you. Dylan Carlson. Is that a good deal there at 24th overall? Yeah, I think so. I think he's a, a really good player, and I don't understand how the Rockies didn't get him in return for Arenado. I'm still upset about that, by the way. Yeah. Guys, when you say that, uh, I just want to clarify for the listeners, um, um, 24th overall, Dylan Carlson, 31st overall, you had mentioned Josh Young. Those are the prospect numbers that they Correct. were thinking, not 31st overall in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. This is kind of like our new top 150 list, and that's what right. I'm referring to. So right, great right. job. Um, Scott, here's a guy for you. Bobby Dahlbeck, he was taken 34th overall for the prospects. What do you think of that spot? Uh, probably in line, probably in line with with his value. You know, it depends. Again, I, I'm not in your league. I don't know the settings and the stats and the categories. Uh, he's going to strike out so much. But he, he's got great power, and he is going to play. You know, I don't think he's going to play every day. Um, really? But he's going to he's going to be playing. You know, first he'll be doing some DHing. I don't know if they're going to throw him over at third when they have to give Devers, you know, a day off. But uh, I think that's kind of right in line with his value. But if you want to drop down to someone on the same team, and you guys were not going to get me on the podcast to not talk about this kid, Jaron Duran. Uh, 18th round for you guys, 211th overall. He should be 111th overall in my book. Whoa. I already thought number he's number 48 ranked then in us. I already thought that was pretty high for him. So well, I think he's going to be up. I think he's going to be up, you know, before the all-star break. And I think he's going to contribute. He, I don't think he's going to be an all-star right away, but I think he's going to contribute and he's going to hit the top of the order. He's going to score runs. He's going to steal bases. And he's going to hit a lot of doubles. So I, I think he's going to be solid value. I, I think he'll turn into a better hitter than Jackie Bradley Jr. There you go. That's interesting. Although it's that bar is not too high, but fair enough. That's a good. And I'm, and I'm also biased. So yeah. um, a couple more guys here just as we wrap up. And then I got Jim, you know, he's knocking on the door here. We got to get him in here as well. But uh, I think Forrest Whitley is an interesting one. This was done after the Tommy John. So this was taken with that into consideration. 64th overall prospect. That was in the 22nd round. Um, I've been listening to a couple podcasts and that's the biggest question is where does Whitley end up? And they're just like, oh, I don't know, maybe hundreds, 200. So this is some actual data of where somebody was willing to take Forrest Whitley at 64. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, we'll go with Scott there. Well, I mean, where did we have Royce Lewis? Uh, 25th round at 299. So then I think Whitley's a little high. I yep. mean, um, you know, if if Lewis was 25th round and he's 40 overall picks later, um, you know, then maybe Whitley is right around, you know, where where he should be. That's that's decent value, knowing he's going to be out with Tommy John. And, and Lewis is a steal. But I, I'll I'll group those two guys together. And David, you picked Drew Waters at number 78 and uh, overall for the prospects. That's 24th round. And we kind of have a, a gentleman's agreement with Drew Waters. But 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I was shocked to see him go 78th overall. I have him as a top 25 prospect, and I'm a Braves fan, so I know that's a little biased. But I constantly see Waters getting dropped down really, really far in these drafts. And I don't know why. Can can somebody explain to me what I'm missing with Drew Waters here? I mean, is there a, an open job in the Atlanta outfield coming up soon? Uh, as soon as they insert the DH, yes, there will be. Ah, so that I mean that that could be it, and you know yeah. just you know not seeing it now until the until the DH comes in. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either. I I thought Waters would be going higher, and you know I was looking through. It's like oh he's still out here. Gotta gotta add him to the queue um, for sure. So and yeah, so and you and I talked about uh, Waters. So um, he's he's certainly a, a good player and um, a strong uh, strong outfield. Uh, group, um, strong group of outfield prospects in general in baseball right now. That's a good point, though, Alex, to bring up Drew Waters, though. 78th prospect taken, 278th overall in the 24th round. I mean, who is out in that Atlanta outfield right now? Christian Pache, and uh, he went in the 14th round. You know, yeah, he went really early. 29th prospect taken, 158th overall. So yeah, that, that was me also. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's a good pick because, you know, he's playing. He's going to he's going to be in one of your active roster mm-hmm. spots from day one, probably. And and Waters isn't. So he's he's going to slide a little bit. Absolutely. We could talk about this for so long, but I do want to get Jim here on the phone discussing his Indians prospects. And like you said, we got Nolan Jones to talk about. We got Tyler Freeman who we might as well just mention where some of these guys went. Tyler Freeman was our 101st. What? I just realized that's pretty crazy, too. 101st prospect taken in the 28th round. That's insane. I don't think Jim's going to like that when he sees that. I'm definitely going to bring up Tyler Freeman and ask Jim something. I know, I, I know I'm going to do that. <laughs> and then uh, another good guy there is uh, Valera, who... I think I took recently, I didn't even have a chance to add him to this list, but I think I just took him and he's outside the the top 100 prospects. So some Indians not getting love on this list. So hopefully Jim can convince us that those Indians are indeed somebody you need to target in your draft. So let's go ahead and bring him on. We'll be right back after this and talking to Jim Indians prospects. All right, we are here, and there are four of us now. We got Jim Zeely, the Indians correspondent for our website, Prospects1500.com. Jim, how are you doing today? Doing great, guys. How are you doing? We can't complain. We're uh, we're crowded in here, but that just means that we got a lot of knowledge to share with everybody, and I'm excited to see kind of all these different perspectives from this actually really underrated system. I think that uh, a lot of people just would maybe casually look at this Indians system and not see some of the great, great prospects that are here. So what can you tell us about the system just in a general sense, overview? Um, what is it looking like for 2021? Well, it's great. Uh, it's a very deep system. Uh, the nice part, if you want to call it, of trading away your star players the way the Indians have and the strategy strategy they've used uh, they've gotten a lot of names instead of one or two big names. So you get guys like Joey Cantillo and Gabriel Arias coming back for Mike Clevenger, uh, Josh Wolf, Isaiah Green coming back for Lindor and Carrasco. Uh, what it winds up doing for us is building a really deep system with a lot of names. And, you know, if you get success with two or three out of five of those guys, it puts your team in a great spot. So I'm very excited for what the next several years have to bring for us. Now, let me ask you this, because I've been hearing more about this particular idea this last year than I ever have before. And that's the development of the pitchers in this Cleveland system and in the major leagues. It's like they're kind of getting this stereotype that they can bring the best out of these pitchers. What do you have to say about that? Can you give us a little insight on what they're doing? Um, Why is this becoming now a pitching factory out in Cleveland? You know, it's just consistent development throughout the minor leagues, I think. I mean, these guys are getting coached. You know, they've been fortunate to not really lose many, uh, of their player development staff over the years. Uh, and the results show, I mean, you go back to Kluber, Bauer, Clevenger, now you move on to Bieber and then you have Plesak and Savali on the way. Uh, it's, you know, we have the new crop of pitchers coming up led by uh, my new hype train, uh, Captain Tanner Burns. Uh, really excited to 
see what they can do. Though there's a lot of good arms throughout the system, uh, and just the player development staff has really done great in getting the most and then some out of these arms. Wonderful. Well, let's just jump right into it. There's a lot of guys here at the top, like you're saying, I wanted to go over. And the first is your number one prospect. Um, one of three people in tier one, by the way, we're going to, of course, talk about all of them. But the, your number one prospect, Nolan Jones, third base. And then you have slash outfield. Interesting. Hoping maybe you can touch on that. But number one prospect in the system, Nolan Jones, what can you say about him? Uh, great hitter. I mean, he's number one for a reason. Uh, left-handed power bat. Uh, he's come up as a third baseman through the system. Uh, the problem that we're running into now is as he's approaching Cleveland, there is a guy at third baseman, third base in Cleveland by the name of Jose Ramirez, who is pretty good. So in the interest of getting Jones at bats, the Indians have been uh, trying him out of the corner outfield spots more and more late in 2019 throughout the uh, alternate site training in 2020. And then even spring training, he's been getting some reps in, uh, I believe, right field, maybe left field as well. Uh, but I think the idea there is his bat's ready, so let's see how we can get him to the major leagues as quick as possible. Uh, personally, I would be shocked if he didn't go the Jim Tomey route and wind up at first base too, but Bobby Bradley is there as well, and he's going to get the first crack. So uh, really where we're at with Jones is his bat's ready to go. It's just a matter of finding him a place on the major league roster. Yeah, and I mean, that, that outfield out there in Cleveland, I, I think there's plenty of uh, at-bats to be won uh, out with that <laughs> yes. group. And and one of those guys that, that's going to be competing for at-bats out there soon is your guy at number two, George Valera, uh, you know, 20 years old and spent the year at the at the alternate training site. You know, what, what can you talk about with, uh, with his progress and his possible timeline for getting up to Cleveland? Yeah, Valera's probably a couple more years off. Um, I'm excited for him, though. Uh, his numbers in low A didn't really jump off the page, but it's just he has all the tools to succeed. Uh, great contact hitter, really good power, really good speed. He kind of, you know, I hate to compare him to Juan Soto because we know who Juan Soto is, but he's kind of in that same mold as far as skill set goes. So, uh -huh. you know, as we saw, I absolutely spent or he spent the last uh, year in the, at the alternate site as a 20-year-old, which is incredible for him. Um, really interested to see where they start him this year. Uh, it would make sense if they started him in now low A Lynchburg. Lynchburg and Lake County switched their affiliations this year. Uh, but I, I would be very surprised if he didn't wind up in Akron at least by the end of the year. I'm um, hoping that they get pretty aggressive with his development because I think he really has the tools to uh, make an impact in the near future. Wow, so, Juan Soto comp there. That yeah. is. That I is hesitate some to make gym. the true the true Soto comp, but just the skill set seems to be similar. <laughs> so, if we get half of Juan Soto in left field in Cleveland, I'll be very happy about it. But you know, Fair same enough. same kind of mold. Dave, he's starting to sound like me with his ridiculous comps. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's I, rubbing off on everybody here. I see I see Robinson Cano, man. That swing looks exactly like Cano when I watch Valera's videos. But moving on, uh, because I've been waiting all week to talk about number three and using the line, the second greatest shortstop to come out of Etiwanda High School of all time. Because, of course... Number one being the guy talking right now. Um, but Tyler Freeman, second baseman, shortstop. He does uh, – he's my guy from Etiwanda. Um, uh, he's obviously a lot better than I ever was uh, at shortstop. Um, love this kid. I'm so excited to see him him number three overall and then have him in a tier one because I really do agree. And I think he's really underrated in, in prospect circle. So can you get the hype train going even further here on Tyler Freeman for me? Francisco Lindor, but so much better. No, I'm kidding. No, Freeman, I've loved this guy's development the whole way throughout the system. Uh, he's always been a hitter, which is kind of the baseline for me that tells me he has a really good chance of being a great major leaguer. Gets the bat on the ball, very rarely strikes out, very rarely walks. I believe his uh, K rate was under 10% in 2019. Uh, yeah, 9.7% in 2019, and then 4.8 walk percentage. So his fate's not getting decided at the plate. He's putting the ball in play and making things happen. Now, before last year, he would have been a little bit further down because there wasn't much power there. So he's more of a Nick Madrigal type. But at the alternate site last year, they're talking about him hitting eight home runs. He's put a couple balls over the wall in spring training this year. So it's going to be really interesting to see if that power sticks in the higher levels of the minors. Uh, if it does, that's a game changer for him because now he's got the speed, the power, and the contact to really be 
a really solid major league hitter. So I'm really hoping he finds himself on the infield before long in Cleveland. Hey guys, this is Scott Green uh, just jumping in for a minute here. Jim, I wanted to ask you about Freeman because I, I'm looking over all of our top 50 lists. This is one player who maybe is the most controversial tier one uh, player uh, on our lists. Now, if people aren't familiar with our tiers, we have tier one through tier five. Tier one prospects are pretty much going to be perennial all-stars. And we like to say about 2% of our 1,500 prospects, which brings it down to about 30 players. And a lot of people don't have Freeman as a top 30 prospect overall. So I'm just going to ask you to support your ranking him as a tier one guy. Well, I think the thing that comes into play here is I don't think Freeman sticks at shortstop. So he's not going to get lost among so many great shortstops that are in the major leagues now and in the future. Uh, based on everyone else that the Indians have in the system, I think Freeman settles in at second base. And I think even if he puts up 280 and maybe 15 home runs a year, that's all-star numbers out of the second baseman. So I think you're going to see uh, him knocking on the door of, of the all-star game every, most years. Uh, just partially because of the position he plays and just, again, the hitting ability. I mean, the hitting ability is there if he keeps up his his kind of success that he's had throughout the minors. We're talking about a guy that could actually perennial be, perennially be in contention for an all-star spot. All right. Good answer. Thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. All right. And then uh, now moving on down to Tier 2, uh, you got a couple of pitchers leading the way, Daniel Espino, Ethan Hankins. Uh, two really kind of uh, popular names, uh, both 20 years old. And the, the the Cleveland Indians have really just kind of had a history for uh, taking pitching prospects and then just turning them into studs at the big league level. They always have a loaded group of, of starters to have in that rotation. No matter how many they trade away, they always got someone there to fill in. So uh, for Espino and, and for Hankins there, what are your thoughts on uh, how soon they could contribute to the big league rotation in Cleveland and uh, what their production could look like? Optimistically, both could be up next year. I don't think you see them this year. I think uh, they've only both pitched, I believe, in low A. So uh, they've got some time left to develop in the minors. I think Espino has a clear path to being a starter. Uh, he has a couple of really strong offerings and his mechanics are more repeatable and smooth. I think there's a little bit of reliever risk with Hankins. Uh, I still have him ranked number five because I'm banking on him remaining a starter for now. Uh, but he's got the stuff. He's got a great fastball, high 90s fastball, and some solid secondary offerings. Uh, reports have had his mechanics falling out of whack a little bit from time to time. Nothing major, but just enough that he gets a little bit wild. So I can see the Indians transitioning him to a high leverage bullpen role. Uh, but I think we'll kind of get a lot more clarity on that this year. So. I think both of them wind up uh, in Cleveland probably next year, uh, potentially the following, uh, depending on timing and injuries. Um, but, I, you know, there's a good chance we see Hankins in the eighth and ninth inning uh, surrounding Class A and uh, Karen Shack. So it'll be very interesting to see where he winds up and then where Espino slots in to the rotation in the future. I'm interested in just how many middle infield prospects we have here. And clearly Freeman is taking up one of those two, according to you, and I tend to agree. So that leaves us with basically a shortstop position. And then here from, you know, number six, number seven, number nine, number 10, are all shortstop as a player. Um, we, have, we have Rocchio, Jimenez, uh, Bracco, and Arias. So I wanted you to kind of go over those names, mention maybe who's your favorite to be that shortstop guy for the future. And what, what do you do with the other guys then? Yeah, so the problem is, is my favorite guy is Rokio, but I don't think he winds up at shortstop at this point. Uh, I think he has all the talent in the world to become a great hitter. I just think his development is a couple years behind the other guys, and that might stick him in the outfield. Uh, who knows where? Maybe even his trade bait. Who's to say? I think uh, reports out of spring training say Jimenez seems to be uh, – to have a pretty strong in on the shortstop position for opening day this year. Uh, the team has started to give a Med Rosario some reps in the outfield. So they're trying to move him out of short. 
Uh, I think Jimenez gets the first crack at uh, the shortstop spot this year. Uh, Gabriel Arias has been absolutely hitting the cover off the ball in spring training. Now it's spring training, of course, so we need to you know temper our expectations. Uh, but he had a really good breakout year at the plate in 2019 for in the Padres system. Uh, he only got as high as high A, so he's going to spend probably at least half the year in Double A. Uh, hopefully, we'll get we'll see him in Columbus as well. Uh, but if he keeps hitting, it's going to be really hard to keep him out of the shortstop spot as well. Uh, Jimenez has seen some time in the outfield, so he could wind up out there as well. Uh, another speedy guy in the outfield and the Cleveland's um, center field spot is pretty barren, so that could be an option for him. Rocco, I, tough to say. I mean, he might even be a year behind Rokio, so I hope he develops great. I, you may wind up with another team, depending on deadline deals in a couple of years if the Indians are trying to contend again. Uh, but it's a good place to be. You know, you have a lot of really talented players vying for a couple of positions. And if, you know, the second best guy winds up bringing another pitcher or something else that we need to compete, you know, that's that's part of the game, too. So it'll be very interesting to see how it develops over the next uh, six months here. And then now uh, dropping down to your last spot in tier two. Now, I'm I'm a driver of a uh, Burns hype train myself. I, I drive the Corbin Burns hype train. But you, sir, are the driver of the Tanner Burns hype train. So, Jim, hype me up. Tanner Burns, what, what do we got here? We got a guy that I'm really excited about. Uh, obviously, he's a college pitcher, went to Auburn, really strong university, You know, developed a guy that we all know called Casey Mize. Uh, already has a mid-90s fastball that tends to get up to uh, 97 on occasion. He has a good run on it. He has a couple really good secondary offerings. His breaker's better than his changeup, but the changeup has been developing from what I've been told. Uh, the thing with Burns is that he has a reputation for having really strong control. That's the one thing that's really hard to teach is control that I'm excited about. I'm going to make another wild comparison here, but bear with me. The oh, last wow. guy that kind of reminds me coming out of college with this profile in the Indian system is Shane Bieber. Oh. Bieber's fastball was a little bit slower, but he had really good control, really good breaking stuff. You know, give it a couple of years, college pitcher. I'm hoping to see Burns kind of follow that path, get to the majors quick, and then he'll be behind the likes of Savali, Burns, or, I'm sorry, Savali, Bieber, and uh, Plesak. So kind of what like Bieber was able to do, he was able to learn from Kluber, Bauer, Clevenger, and kind of hide at the back of the rotation until he kind of got settled at the major league level. Burns may be able to kind of find himself into that same situation. So if the Indians development staff can work its magic like it has on so many other pitchers, having a really good developed college arm with good control, that has me really excited for his future. All right, Jim, you got me sufficiently hyped now. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to jump on the Tanner Burns hype train. All aboard. Let's go. I got stuck on the Billy Burns hype train a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he sounded so sad. <laughs> 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 oh, poor Scott. <laughs> I'm all about uh, lofty uh, comparisons for sure. And uh, I would love to argue and be like, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? But then they turned Shane Bieber, former UC uh, Santa Barbara Gaucho, by the way, some more alma maters for you guys that I went to. Um, but uh, they turned him into like this ace and he wasn't much when he came out too. So I really can't argue against the fact that this Indian's developmental program can do some magical things. So I'm, I'm going to have to get a seat on this thing. I need to be on some Burns train, not Corbin for sure. So might as well. Just kidding. Hop on the Corbin Burns hype train, man. We got snacks. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on here. Uh, we do, I want to get to some more of these guys too. And uh, the the guys here in the tier three section, they're a little bit lower uh, in terms of the ranking, but to be honest, I think that they're going to be contributing this year in the major leagues. I'm referring to. Daniel Johnson, I'm referring to Bobby Bradley, Emmanuel Classe. So these guys are busy. The guy I really want to ask about is Daniel Johnson. He's already 25 years old, a little on the older side, but I think he has a great chance just because, like, I don't think the Indians believe in outfielders at all, and they just kind of get rid of them as soon as possible. And so he's like the last man standing, and he's going to be the starting right fielder, right? I mean, am I crazy here? What's, what's up with Daniel Johnson? He should be a starting right fielder. I don't know if he will be. Um, 
the Indians outfield management has baffled me for years. Uh, I will say for as much as I love their pitching development staff, their management of the outfield at the major league level just frustrates me to no end. You know, when you when you start the season last year with guys like Greg Allen running around out there, he's, he's a great player. He's super fast when he gets on the bases, which didn't happen very often. Um, so I hope Johnson gets more at-bats than he did last year. He got 12 in, in Cleveland early on in the season, and then they sent him down and never brought him back. I mean, he had a, he had a great year between double-A AA and triple-A in Washington system in 2019, put up some really solid offensive numbers, and the Indians do not get solid offensive numbers out of their outfield. Uh, we'd love to see him come up, spend his time in, in right field because Josh Naylor's probably going to be in left. Uh, we'll see what they do. Uh, he has all the talent in the world to succeed, and I really hope they give him a fair shake this year and uh, see if he can stick at the major league level. Another guy that, that's got talent and you know maybe just needs an opportunity to, to stick at the big league level, Yu Chang. I uh, saw him in a spring training game against uh, – Against the Brewers, he had a couple of home runs in that game. Uh, he he was looking good, and you know he got him as a third baseman and a shortstop. And you know for a while there, both those positions were uh, pretty well filled in Cleveland. But um, now with uh, Francisco Lindor uh, moving to to New York, you know the shortstop job is, is there. And and you looked at you know the other guys up there, Jimenez uh, and Rosario as options up there. But what are the chances uh, Yu Chang? Uh, can can nab uh, some shortstop starts in there. I'm hoping he does. So it appears that the Indians are trying to are looking at Chang as their kind of first off the bench utility infielder at this point, which works for me. Um, he's very good on the left side of the infield. He's a uh, respectable first baseman, although it's not his natural position. Now I can play second base as well. So, you know, his only real competition at that spot right now to start the season anyways is Mike Freeman. And Chang's a better all-around hitter. It's just a matter of will Francona go with kind of the known entity in Mike Freeman, or will he give Chang a few more at-bats? I mean, Chang has had some uh, major league experience, although very sporadic. Um, but he's hit every step of the way, and he's played really well in Columbus in his time there. So uh, I'm hoping he gets that utility infielder spot, and who knows, he might even see some at-bats in the outfield. But if he can kind of find a home, even as a utility guy, and get some fairly regular at-bats, I think he will have a really good impact on the team this year. Hey, guys, if I may, before we move on from Tier 3, uh, one one more player I'd like to ask Jim about. Uh, namesake of mine, actually, but no relation. Isaiah Green, 19-year-old outfielder. Um, he came over in that uh, Lindor trade, and – it says a lot about the Indian system, I think, where I believe he rightfully could have been top top 10, at least top 15 in the Mets farm system. And Jim, you've ranked him at 19 here uh, in the Indians. I, I really like uh, Green. Can you just say a little bit about him for our listeners? Yeah, I really like him as well. Um, it's really interesting that him and my number 20 guy, Petey Halpin, are almost carbon copies of each other. Uh, Green is just a really well thought of hitter, uh, high school hitter, just puts the bat on the ball, seems to have a little bit of power right now. And it's everyone seems to think that he has a lot more to unlock. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him hopefully in late, uh, I'm sorry, Lynchburg this year. Uh, He'll probably spend a good amount of time in Arizona to start the season, uh, just an extended spring. Um, But, you know, he profiles as a really good hitter, very fast, uh, solid uh, defensive center fielder. So his development will definitely be worth following going forward here. Uh, he could wind up moving up this list in a big hurry if, he, if it goes well. One thing I wanted to point out to listeners here, because I see number 22, Carson Tucker, ranked very uh, always pretty much higher than Petey Halpin, your number 20th ranked prospect. When I'm looking at first-year player drafts and even in you know our player drafts that we went over, it was the same case. So I'm curious as to how uh, your reasoning behind putting Carson Tucker two spots below PD. Is it more a PD love or is it more anti-Carson type of thing? No, it's definitely PD love. Uh, I'm a big fan of the fast center fielders that are good hitters. Uh, and with PD helping, we kind of know what we have, right? We know he's probably going to be a center fielder. We know what we're getting from him at the plate. With Carson Tucker, we know he's a good hitter, but I don't know where the Indians are going to put him. So I am concerned that his development might stall a little bit once he even gets to high A 
high A double A in that kind of range, just because there's no at bats for him at shortstop and a lot of the outfield positions. So he's at 22 until they kind of, until his development plan kind of becomes clear, because I'm just not sure with all the players he's currently trapped behind what they're going to do with him. All right. Then I just got a, I got one more guy for you here in, in tier three that I want to ask you about uh, Nick Sandlin, a right-handed pitcher. Uh, he's, he's a, uh, He's a reliever, I, I believe, and, and can really uh, have, a, have a big impact in that bullpen, correct? Yeah, so I was actually lucky enough to see Sam Lynn pitch a couple years ago, and I was sitting directly home plate, and it was impressive. Uh, he has kind of this wacky three-quarter-ish sidearm kind of delivery, really weird arm slot, and nothing he throws is straight. Uh, it's dancing all over the place, left and right, and it had hitters off balance for the two innings he pitched pretty bad. Um the only concern with him is injuries. He's had some forearm issues. I uh, never had to have Tommy John yet. Um, but with that wacky delivery, it can pose a little bit of a problem. Um, but with health and the way his stuff moves, I mean, he's not an overpowering guy like classing Karen Shakar. Uh, he's more of a finesse guy. And that would be a really interesting look coming out of the bullpen in Cleveland in some pretty high leverage situations. So as the Padres guy here, I wanted to see your views on two of the guys that came over in the uh, in the Clevenger trade, and that was Owen Miller, shortstop at number 25 for you, and Joey Cantillo, who is at uh, 29, a left-handed pitcher. I really liked both of those guys. I thought Owen Miller was a sneaky little addition in that trade. But of those two guys, you know, who are you looking? Who has really impressed you the most uh, since getting to know these guys? You know, I really like Owen Miller. He seems he almost reminds me of one of those Brock Holt types. It's never going to have one set position, but he's going to be really good at any position. Probably won't be an all-star in any one spot, but he's just going to come out there. You know what you're going to get from him, and it doesn't matter where he is on the field, he's going to hit. So I'm excited to see what they do with him in Cleveland because I think they'll be able to find some at-bats for him in the next couple of years, and hopefully he'll be able to really catch on at the major league level. Uh, as far as Cantillo goes, I mean, he's a little bit of a change of pace for Indians pitchers, really. I mean, he's a big lefty, and the only other big lefty they really have is Logan Allen, the elder, uh, also a San, a San Diego uh, product. So, it, you know, Cantillo kind of has a big looping overhand uh, left-handed motion, and it seems like his curveball, or break, I forget what he calls it exactly, but I'm going to call it a curveball. Uh, it has really good break to it. It seems to really keep bat- batters off balance. So really interested to see him move up in the system as well. Um, that's really kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, down here in tier four, uh, you got a, you know, a bunch of, uh, interesting players here. Uh, one name that really kind of, you know, sticks out is Richie Palacios, uh, you know, 23 years old. He hasn't played above a ball, but, um, you know, for him in that, you know, crowded crop of, of middle infield prospects, you know, what are the chances you think for, for Palacios to really kind of stick out? Well, it depends. I mean, like I mentioned, he had shoulder surgery in 2019, so he missed most of the year. Um, put up really good numbers in the lower minors uh, prior to that. So, you know, like I said in, in my column, he's really a wild card. Uh, we really got to see what he does in the minors this year, and that's kind of going to make or break him. Uh, if he keeps putting up those really good numbers, he'll stick in the discussion for infielder. If, you know, that proves to be a little bit of a fluke or the shoulder injury kind of hampered him a little bit then, you know, it's a very competitive system in the middle infield. So he's going to slip pretty quickly. So interesting to see. He's one, he's definitely one to watch uh, throughout the year to see kind of how he progresses. So middle infielders and you're the St. Louis Cardinals of pitching, it seems like, where you just take guys and make them really, really good and they come out of nowhere. Um, but with that being said, Give us a couple of other names, one name, even two names, whatever you feel like that maybe we haven't gone over that we definitely should know about when looking over your top 50 list. So a couple guys. Uh, the first one I'm going to mention is Alexi Planez. Uh, he's an outfielder. He's very young. He is. Let me pause this one. One second. All right, yeah, Planez is 19 years old, uh, played in rookie ball a couple years ago. However, uh, I've seen a lot of videos of him working out in Venezuela uh, last year and over the winter. Uh, he was working out with Brad Rocchio in their home country, and he can hit the ball. <laughs> I have not heard a bat crack like that in a long time. Uh, has a very fluid swing, has incredible power. Uh, pretty fast guy, too, for his size. I 
his dimensions kind of vary, but everyone seems to have him around 6'5", so he's a very big man. Uh, really interested to see what he does when he comes stateside, uh, if that translates to games. But that power is definitely something to behold. Uh, the other guy that I'm really interested in as well is another young young guy uh, named Yankensi Noel. Huge guy, another big power hitter. Uh, he is 19 years old and, again, rookie ball guy, but he's just huge and just slugs the ball like you wouldn't believe. So in this uh, system, you know, the Indians haven't really had a true bona fide power hitter since Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, and even before that, you know, they really don't develop power hitters. So, I mean, you got to go back to Tommy Ramirez and Travis Hafner before you're really getting back to that conversation. So having those two guys uh, and Noel potentially coming up as first baseman, uh, those are two I'm watching very closely to see how quickly they can rise through uh, the low minors and reach Cleveland. Hey, before we uh, let uh, Jim go on this Indians top 50 analysis, Jim, two guys I wanted to just bring up. One I drafted probably three or four years ago in Diamond Duos, a very deep dynasty league I created many years back. And his name is Junior San Quentin. He was not on your top 50 list, but you did include him in our the next uh, prospects, the next 51s, I guess. And uh, you, you had said that he could possibly make his way up into your next updated top 50. Has Junior kind of just fallen by the wayside? And then I want to ask you about Mr. T Easy 24, Tristan McKenzie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sam Quinn, I mean, again, it's just really it's an age thing with him. Uh, he only made it up to rookie ball. He's 19 years old. So he's a young guy. He's just behind a lot of really talented, I guess, better known entities in front of him. Um, he's one of those guys I wanted to put on my list, but I only have 50 spots. And that's just kind of kind of how the cards fell. Uh, I really like what I see out of him, though. Solid defender, solid hitter, pretty quick. Uh, um, you know, it'll just be really interesting to see what he can do in the low minors. That's kind of the initial measuring stick for these guys is, is to see how they fare over a full season against a little bit more advanced competition. Okay. So, so someone to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he hasn't fallen off by any means. He's still a very good player. It's just with the Indian system being as deep as it is, I ran out of spots. Okay. Well, McKenzie has graduated from your list, but he's, he's still young. He showed some great promise uh, during the shortened season with his uh, MLB time last year. Um, I've got to be high on him. I've liked McKenzie since I saw him pitch uh, for Akron in AA a few years ago. Uh, are you still on high on McKenzie? Yeah, I definitely like him. I mean, we saw him in the major leagues last year. He had very good success. Um, you know, he wasn't winning the Cy Young, but he had a very solid first year. Uh, my only concern with him is the velocity dip a little bit kind of later in the year. So I'm sure the Indians saw it as well and will manage his innings this year. Uh, but he has the stuff to be successful. You know, he's battled injuries throughout the minors. So hopefully those are behind him. Um, but with proper management by the team, I think he's definitely going to be a very big contributor to this team for several more years to come. Jim, wonderful stuff here. Really, really appreciate you coming on, taking the time to talk these guys over with us. Why don't you take this moment as we wrap up here just to give us some information on how people can follow you and maybe what you're working on for the site and anything else going on in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So where to find me uh, on Twitter at ZBaseball86. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Zeely Photography, that's Z-E-L-E Photography, and I have a website by the same name. Uh, a lot of stuff coming up for the site. I want to take a look at all of the shortstop prospects and try to figure out where they're all going to land. I want to take a look at the Indians infield and figure out how that shapes out in the next couple of years and just kind of who we should look for kind of coming into the season here. So uh, plenty of good stuff coming out of Cleveland, and I'm excited to dive into it all. Guys, I want to pick up on that and just reiterate Zeely Photography. Uh, Jim has an amazing photography site. He's contributed a lot of great photos of some of these players on our top 50 list, you'll see see a lot of them in our Indians top 50 right on Prospects 1500. So thanks for doing that, Jim, and keep up that great work. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Awesome. All right, Jim, we are going to be right back to wrap things up, and we'll be right back after this.
All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Futures Focus podcast, courtesy of Prospects1500.com. My name is Alex Sanchez, David Gasper, my co-host. We want to thank Scott Green and Jim Zeely for coming on to our podcast. Really appreciate those guys spending some time with us. Please check out our website and give us a follow on Twitter. And if you really like the episode and want to hear some more great episodes in the future, please leave a good review and actually, how about a great review? Not just good, a great review on uh, whatever platform you're listening on. Five stars really goes a long way. We really do appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed your listen. It was a little bit longer of an episode. We apologize if it's a little bit too long, but we had some really great content we felt like this week and want to get it out to you guys. So until next week, thank you again for listening to the Futures Focus podcast. David and I will talk to you next week. See you soon.